morning to each one that came out this morning. In obedience to the scripture, and we trust it goes deeper than just the, the normal thing, although if it's the normal thing and that's why you came, God bless you for being here. So, it's God's will, and knowing who we were, that we needed to get together and exhort one another. This morning I have a topical message. It's a message on a topic I don't know if I ever heard preached on before. However, it's not a small issue as I looked at this topic. It's mentioned at least 300 times in the scripture. So it's not a really quite a side issue. And it's a topic that's actually large enough that I cannot speak comprehensively in all the areas. It's found from the beginning of Genesis right into Revelation. It's throughout the Bible. And it's a unique creature experience that we have that has entirely to do with relationships. Relationship with God and with each other. It's actually an emotion. It's an unpleasant emotion. Like other emotions, it can be experienced mildly or it can be experienced so strong that it can devastate one's life. Improperly related to, it leads to anxiety and depression and disorders, eating disorders and suicide. So the topic, the title for the message this morning is a biblical perspective on shame. What is meant when we feel ashamed? What are, what are we trying to accomplish when we say shame on you? Or maybe we shouldn't try to accomplish that. <laughs> well, this morning I want to identify this emotion. I want to reveal its purpose. I want to, I will talk, talk about some of the devastation that occurs if not properly related to. And how shame is a good thing in its proper context. So, um, you know, my main disclaimer is this, this topic is bigger than me and I'm not an expert in it, but I looked in the Word of God. I took the different areas, I tried to um, categorize it somewhat, and, um, and we want to learn from the scripture, the biblical perspective on shame. So the first thing we want to do is identify shame. What is shame? Of course, it has associated um, words with it ashamed, you have um, maybe humiliation, you have um, mortification, you have uh, different, when you're mortified, not mortification, that sounds like death, right? Morti- when you're mortified, you, you know, you just, so there's different words, but the Bible word is shame or dishonor, or um, there's another one, 
we'll get to it later. But what is shame? Well, shame is an emotion. It's something that we feel. And it's, as an emotion, it's a negative emotion, which means it's an unpleasant emotion. It's a painful emotion. And it occurs in a social context. A Webster's definition is it describes it a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. And Nelson's Bible Dictionary says a negative emotion caused by the awareness of wrongdoing, hurt ego, or guilt. So, now remember, this is not shame. These are things that cause shame. Shame is an emotion. But things that cause shame, and I'm going to categorize them in three three areas, and I don't think exactly a perfect way, but we have guilt, then we have wrongdoing shortcoming, uh, wrongdoing, uh, just what I was trying to decide that should be behind guilt or not. But wrongdoing can be uh, something that's not necessarily uh, a, a, a sin. So we have guilt, we have wrongdoing, shortcoming, and then we have impropriety or hurt ego. And those are things that cause shame when you experience those things in a social conduct, in a social context. And it's a normal and it's a healthy human response to actually feel shame in those areas when you encounter those events in your life. So first of all, we're going to look at guilt. Uh, we're identifying shame, and you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. This is actually the first, well, we're, it's the first where is, there is no shame. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, and the last verse, 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the first mention of shame in the Bible, and you have only three relevant beings. You have God, and you have man, and you have woman. And shame being in a, an entirely a social phenomenon, there is, they were at this point entirely free of any negative or painful emotion caused by you know, guilt, wrongdoing, shortcoming, impropriety, and so on. Then you turn over to Genesis chapter 3 and verses 6 and 7. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. 
And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed thick leaves together and made themselves aprons. So they had been naked, and they were not ashamed. Now they were ashamed that that they were naked. And the paraphrase, the New Living Translation, just says it in that last verse there. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They felt shame. And so they faked, they sewed those fig leaves together. Now, can you, from your own experience of shame, can you predict, you could predict what would happen next, don't you? If you've done something wrong and now you are ashamed, what is the natural, normal way to do? Well, let's read here in verse 8. And they heard the voice of God, the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. And the Lord God called on Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Hiding. And secrecy, running away, putting up guards and barriers. Why were they doing that? Because there was a a dirty secret. They they already feel this painful emotion called shame. They're already feeling it. They feel it in themselves. And then to have this thing exposed to the person that matters the most to them is a hugely more serious exposure to shame. And there's a, there's a, there's a natural retraction from that. And that's what they did. Now, if Adam and Eve could have kept that hidden from God, let's imagine they could have kept it hidden from God, they would have avoided that open shame, but their relationship with God could not have been the same as it was before. And God did not allow them to keep it. He got it out, and then he gave them the remedy, the clothing of skins. So guilt, guilt is one of the causes for shame. But guilt is not the same as shame Guilt is the recognition and regret of having done something wrong. Shame is the emotion that is experienced, is felt by the exposure of something that will cause others to think less of me. Shame is that emotion of that exposure. Actually, one can feel shame without any guilt. Because guilt, the opposite of guilt is innocence. You're either guilty or you're innocent. The opposite of shame is honor. And it is possible, in fact, it's actually not uncommon to be dishonored without having done anything wrong. And so to turn to look at an example from Scripture, again, we're going through Scripture about shame and we're identifying it. 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 chapter 10, we're going to start reading at verse 3, but... The background, uh, King Nahash of the Ammonites died and his son became king. And David sent ambassadors uh, to 
to the Ammonites, the new king, to, to give sympathy for his father's death. And so reading here at verse 3, And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan, their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Wherefore Hanan took David's servants and shaved off one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them, people to meet them, because they were men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. Now, in a culture where a man's beard was an essential element of propriety, you couldn't just shave the other half off and come home that way. Then they shaved half their beards and cut their clothing off in the middle. They shamed them. And, and they felt they hadn't done anything wrong. They, they were not guilty, but they were ashamed. They felt shame. And, of course, what did they want to do? <laughs> they wanted to hide. They wanted to go into secret. They didn't want to be seen. Even though they wanted to avoid public exposure, even though they were completely innocent of any wrong, there is no guilt involved. Now, this is some kind of a public shaming. And public shaming, we actually heard a little bit about public shaming this morning in the children's lesson. Public shaming can be mild or it can be devastating. Uh, Mocking and bullying and belittling and slander and gossip, they all fall in this realm and and it can be very painful where where you feel shame because of what someone else is exposing you to. It's always been a part of human society, and in fact, social media has enabled this kind of shaming to go to levels. Well, I suppose, yeah, it, you, you can just expand it hugely more effectively today with the media that we have. So guilt is not the same as shame, although it is many times connected because we often feel shame when we've done a despicable thing, but we can also be shame when we haven't done anything wrong. A third way we can experience shame is Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 7 And Jesus is speaking, and he put forth a parable to those who were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, and Jesus is taking taking a teachable moment here, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest the more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when thou bade, when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship 
or honor in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. So there we actually have both. We have the shame and we have its counterpart, honor, in that context. And when that man that was took the high place, when he was in front of everybody told to go and give place, what do you what do you think he felt like doing? He wished he could have just disappeared. He wished he could have hid. He wished he could have avoided the public view because he felt that shame, that humiliation. He had the painful experience of being socially discredited by being out of proper order. This is a shame that comes when you're out of proper order. And then that correction to the proper order caused him shame. And uh, here's one of the more definitions of shame. To feel shame is to feel oneself diminished in the real or imagined gaze of others who matter to you. (laughs) And he experienced that. A fourth way to experience shame is when we have shortcomings or improprieties. Now, I said this is a biblical view of shame. I actually don't have a Bible verse for this, but I know it's true. I, um, this morning, I put, I I showered, but I didn't put on my Sunday shirt on because I wanted to go lay down a little bit and I didn't want to get it wrinkly. That would be a shame, right? (laughs) So I put on my work uniform shirt. And I told my wife, now, you remind me to change before I come to church. I would be, it would, it would be an impropriety for me to come here. I would feel ashamed in that shirt because I wouldn't feel appropriate. It's, it's when you leave a social gathering and you go home and you find out you had egg on your face all the time. You feel shame. Or you have a, inconspicuous or conspicuous spot on your dress after you get home and you know the shame of that. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure you could find it in the scripture somewhere, but I didn't find. But I know that is you feel shame and embarrassment in those times. That's one definition of shame. A fifth way of shame is shame by association. We can experience shame and public disgrace, disgrace because of what someone who is close to us has done. Um, it's, the biblical example would be if your father does something, I, I can shame my children by how I act. They can be ashamed of me. And, um, and I know I, I do that sometimes. First uh, Samuel, I'll just read a verse here, First Samuel twenty thirty four. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Now, that's that's a father shaming, and, and, and he felt shame. Well, it's a shame by association. And now it could also be that so a father can shame a son, but you can uh, a, a child can also shame the parents, and that is actually in Proverbs, Proverbs nineteen twenty six. 
He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. Proverbs 28, 7. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of righteous men shameth his father. And another way that can be applied is someone asks you, someone from another, someone else asks you, does so and such and such a person go to your church? And you hang your head and say, yeah, they do. <laughs> Shame by association. Hopefully that doesn't happen here. But, you know, you gradually admit that he does. Shame by, pro, uh, by association. So I'm identifying shame from the Bible. So far we've seen that shame is a painful emotion caused by guilt. It's caused by being shamed. It's caused by shortcomings or impropriety and being out of order. And it can even be experienced by close association with someone who does undesirable things which bleed over to you. Your your image, your reputation, is your, your standing is diminished because of your association with someone close to you. Okay, now we're going to look at the purpose of shame. If shame is such a painful, negative emotion, would we not be better off without it? You don't like it. I don't like it. We avoid it. Maybe we should strive to be shameless. Shame is an emotion. We should not view our emotions as right or wrong, good or bad. But we should view them whether or not they are healthy based on the circumstances that gave them rise. Any emotion is expressed in a healthy way when it is appropriate to the circumstances that gave it rise, and when it is felt with the proper degree of intensity for that circumstances, and it is felt for the proper duration of time. We're talking about emotion, healthy emotions. Emotions are good. I say emotions shouldn't be viewed as good or bad. No, emotions are good. We're looking at healthy emotions. Any emotion... Is expressed in a healthy way when it is appropriate to the circumstances that gave rise to it and when it is felt with the proper degree of intensity and for the correct duration of time. That is a healthy emotion. Unhealthy emotions are those that do not fit the circumstances that give rise to them or are felt with the degree of intensity unfitting for the circumstances or are felt for an unsuitable duration of time. And this is a healthy and nuanced way of viewing our emotions, and shame is no exception to that. If you are parked on top of a hill and your child knocks the car out of park, I don't know, they probably can't do that anymore. This is an 
outdated illustration unless you have an old car. You can't knock them out of park anymore, but it, it used to happen. But you're, you, the child knocks the car out of park, and this car goes down a hill towards a busy highway, and you're in there. There is an, an immediate and an intense emotion kicks into place in your heart. There is that fear, and then it has a proper response. That would be a healthy emotional response. To do something. Now, what would be an unhealthy emotional response then is to be forever fearful of parking a car on top of a hill for the rest of your life or for a long time. That 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 um that would be an unhealthy emotional response to that situation is when you have when that fear continues on past that time. Most phobias are actually unhealthy emotional responses or emotional states. So that's an emotional state, not a response. So we're talking about emotions and trying to understand them. You see, our emotions connect us to the reality around us. And the more our emotions connect to this reality correctly, the healthier they are considered to be. So the example above of the emotion of fear meant you were, you were connected with the physical reality you were in. If you responded in fear and acted immediately because you were connected. That's, that's good. In a similar way, being connected to the social reality you are in means that sometimes we will experience shame. If we do not experience shame when it is appropriate, it simply means we are not cued in to the social reality we are in. If you knowingly walk around with egg on your face and you don't care, then you're shameless. And that's not a good, that's, that's not a virtue. And shame, so like, like all other emotions, is created by God so we can experience the full range of human experience. It's a gift of God. And like any gift, it is subject to abuse and misuse. And like any powerful emotion, it can devastate and destroy people's lives. A car manufacturer puts gauges and warning lights on the back on the dashboard of the car so you know what's going on and you have like like especially some equipment you have a lot of light you have the um, engine light um, oil pressure light coolant light transmission light emissions light brakes light low tire pressure light door ajar light <laughs> Parking brake light and on and on you can go and then you have gauges. It's they're they're put there so that you you know what's going on and generally those are warning lights. Now emotions are much more than that, but these are warning lights that give you a warning. Emotions are much more than warning, but it's a connection. 
And God designed us to feel emotions so we can be connected to our world. And then we give these emotions names so that we can identify them and talk about them. You have anger and temper and rage and fury and wrath. These are all different words to describe how we may feel when we are wronged or injured in some way. And then you have shame and disgrace and embarrassment and humiliation and mortification and dishonor. And they're related words when we feel negative disapproval from others. Greg Elshoff says, shame is the painful experience of social discrediting. To feel shame is to feel to be a person of lesser consequence, to feel oneself diminished in the real or imagined gaze of others. And the opposite of shame is honor. We already did talk about that a little bit in that one example. Uh, So the answer to the painful experience of shame is not to get rid of it or ignoring it or by being unfeeling or act like we don't care. If we would get rid of all emotions, we'd be a zombie. And if we selectively get rid of emotions, we... Yeah, we, we, uh, that's not a healthy thing. So, shame, though it is a painful emotion, is a valuable one. It's a necessary, it's a necessary element as we relate to one another. And I've chosen the word social credit to describe the social phenomenon that we experience. It's, in one way, it's it's tied to our, our reputation, but in another way, it's not. And the best way I can describe it as someone who's had chickens for a long time, I can describe it like a chicken. You have a 100 chickens. There's one chicken there that can peck every other chicken, and nobody may peck that one. And there's one chicken in that flock that everybody can peck, and it may peck nobody because there's a pecking order. And then the ones in the middle that either they're, they're in the number two and there's a number 99 and it on down it goes. And the squabbles that you find in the chicken house is those, just that pecking order trying to be adjusted a little bit. Trying to, uh, someone is trying to go up and someone is trying not to come down. In human terms, when a chicken rises in the pecking order, it experiences honor, and when it drops in that order, it experiences shame. And we have a sense of who we are within our peers. We have an ego isn't quite the best word. I mean, ego is sort of a negative thing, but an ego is mean. It's just this, it's your idea of your sense, your sense of self worth, uh, your self importance. We feel good. When people value us and admire us, and we feel bad when we think they, you know, what's the matter with him kind of opinion. We, we feel shame. It, it's a reality. Uh, there's a Bible example for this, and uh, I'm just going to give you the example. I don't actually have it, the, the, the reference here, but remember that unjust servant? 
when he was going to lose his job because his his master found out that he was being unfaithful and he told him you you know get ready you're going to lose your job and he said okay what am i going to do i can't dig that's manual labor he's not strong enough to do that so he can't do that and he said and i am ashamed to beg now why was he ashamed to beg <laughs> well it's what we're talking about he was a manager of an important man. So you had an important man, and this guy was the manager. He was like, probably like Joseph was for Potiphar, I guess. And so he was a fairly important person in the community and well looked up to. And to see that man now down there begging with nothing, and it's the shame his family experienced, he said, I don't want to have that free fall way down to the bottom of the pecking order. I don't want that. So then he connived some alternatives. That's, we have this sense of self-esteem and importance that we, we like to protect, we like to keep. And it's an integral part of God, how God made us. We can no more change that than we can change the chickens and believe me you won't change them and we don't want to to not have any shame it to be shameless to not be connected so the next area what possible good is shame this is where i don't think i have it organized very well but we will talk about some possible goods of shame and from the scripture Shame can be used carefully, very carefully, to discourage bad behavior and to encourage good behavior. And this used to be fairly common in society. Do you remember those stocks that they put people's arms and hands in? You know, that public, then people could throw whatever they wanted at them. That was a public humiliation. Talking about earlier. Or like I've heard a story, you you had a uh, someone uh, in the school didn't obey, so they put him a dunce cap on him. You know, it's made to shame. It's made to change their behavior, not just corporal punishment. I know it in the school where I went to, if the teacher finally got frustrated enough with somebody, and it happened to me one time, she stuck us in the corner. We had to stand there. In, in the, all the activity in the classroom went on, you were standing in the corner with your face to the wall. Very public shaming meant to do something. Public shaming can be devastating, especially to a struggling person, but there is a place to use it correctly. The, Corin- the Corinthian church was a puffed-up church. They thought highly of themselves. Paul did not think as highly of them as they thought of themselves. So, and I don't think God did either. So some correction was needed. So uh, turn to, well, don't turn there. I'm going to read it in the, I think it's the New Living Translation, in a paraphrase, because you get a little bit of the tone Paul had here. When he's shaming them, okay? He's going to shame them. 
And I'm going to read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 1. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you even decide even those little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go outside judge, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. <laughs> I'm saying this to your shame is what it says in the King, King James. <coughs> Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide on these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. He said, you should feel shame instead of pride and arrogance. So Paul is using shame as a tool, one of the tools to change their actions. Now, when you shame someone, it is actually an emotional appeal. <laughs> now, we've got to be careful with emotional appeals. But remember, he didn't just use emotional appeal. He gave them the facts. He said, this is what you're doing. This is why you shouldn't be doing. And he gave them fact after fact. And at the end of all those facts, then he appealed to their emotions yet. And that is a proper way to do that. That, that's a good balance. He showed them the inconsistencies of their actions. And then he appealed to their emotions. And he later on, he did it again in the same letter. And it's in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 where they were doubting or saying there was no resurrection of the body. And he said in 1 Corinthians 15.34, he said, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. Some of you don't have any idea who God is or uh, how God works. And I speak this to your shame, the very same phrase. But Paul didn't do this to anyone else, any other, other letters, which gets me to think it probably should be used rarely and maybe in extreme cases. The Corinthians needed to be brought down a peg or two because of where they're at. They had this high opinion, and they needed to experience some public disgracing to come down to where they had a proper view of themselves. And Paul was an instrument God used to do it. But don't use this often and be very carefully. Don't shame your children into doing what you want them to do. Don't tell them they're no good. Don't tell them they won't amount to anything. Don't tell them what were you thinking. That was a dumb thing to do. I would never do something like that. Those are all shame words that are not good. It's not a right. <laughs> That's, those are demeaning terms. They are shame-based, but they're, they're not good. So when you do use shame, very, very carefully. Uh, if you shame that way, that's actually destructive and it's abusive. A mild way of shaming 
would be if you're in a schoolroom setting. I don't know if you do this, Eldon, or not, but you have a student that you say is not paying attention, and you're having a topic you're discussing, and that student is not paying attention, so you ask that student a question directly, so they assuming won't know what you were talking about, so they are embarrassed. It makes them pay attention. So that that's a mild way of shaming. But be careful with that, because what if that child had a very bad night? What if there's issues at home that this child is is in turmoil and then get shamed in school yet? That is not a good thing. Now, so so what I meant is this shaming, the way Paul uses it, it needs to be done very carefully, and you need to know, you need to be aware of the situation before you do it. Paul, Paul knew what he needed to do, and he did it. Now, there's a few other instances of public shaming in the New Testament. And you, if you want to, you can turn to 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. So there is an instance of public shame of a leader who has has influence and has sinned and rebuked before all. And, and the purpose, of course, that others will also see that. And there's, there's a positive, it's a shaming going on, but there's a positive intent in that whole thing. And Paul actually did that. Paul actually did that to Peter. Remember that? When he was in Galatians, uh, in Gal- the letter in Galatians, when, uh, I don't know where it actually happened, but it was there in Antioch, yes. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he would be blamed. And when I saw they walked not uprightly according to the truth, truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, and he gave him a rebuke. <laughs> so actually, that's an example of how Paul publicly shamed a leader who should have known better. So these are some examples how shame can be used to challenge and discourage wrong actions. But, like I said, we must be very careful. If you have been shamed as a child or you've been in an abusive situation where you have been shamed it may be difficult for you to recognize that there is a place for public shame because you know firsthand the devastation and the turmoil that shaming can bring to a person if you've experienced it firsthand. But like other things, the abuse of something does not mean that we should discredit the proper use of something. Now, we can improperly shame people, and we actually have some instances in Scripture. In James chapter 2, in verse 6, we have improper shaming based on wrong purposes and wrong reasons.
And there's, of course, the situation where you have a rich man coming in and he gets an honorable seat. And you have a poor man coming in and he gets a low seat. And in verse 6, he tells him it's wrong. It's, it's wrong for you to do it. But ye have despised the poor. And that word despised is the same word shamed. And I want to, I want to, if any of you is going to check all these references that I give and you're, you're going to look in your strong concordance, you're going to find out what he's using shame, but it's all different, different Greek words. <laughs> I want to, I want to assure you that there is a root word for shame and then there's, there's only, um, what do you call those things that you put on front? A prefix. This prefix is put on. But they all, they're just variations of the same word. So, uh, and this is one of those variations. It's the word shame. You have shamed that poor person unnecessarily. And it's sin for you to do that, to discriminate in that way. So shaming can be sinful. It's sinful. It is sinful sometimes. And uh, you have a similar thing when you actually don't consider other people. And I'll just read the verse in 1 Corinthians 11:22, where they're having their communion and they're not doing it correctly. He said, what? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? So there's some poor people that actually don't have food. And these other people that are have food or are rich or whatever it is come and they're eating don't even care about them. You're shaming them. And he says, so I praise you in this. I praise you not. <clears throat> so, now maybe maybe you're like John D. Martin here. He, he uses anger as an example. He says, anger is a good thing in a very qualified situation. Like Jesus used anger. He got angry. But then he said... But me, John, he said, when I get angry, it's usually because I got crossed and somebody did something I didn't like and I got this selfish thing coming up. That's the anger that I experience. And I find, and okay, so righteous anger is good, but the selfish anger is wrong. And I find it difficult to distinguish between the two. So the rule for John D. Martin is to not get angry at all. Scripture does say there is a place for it, if you can tell. And so maybe when it comes to shaming, make sure you know the difference between sinful shaming and righteous shaming and shaming that is beneficial and shaming that is destructive. You have to be very, very careful with that. Maybe if we're not sure, we should not try to shame at all. Another purpose for shame, and this actually comes from my own experience, sometimes the thought of shame is enough to keep us from doing something wrong when we are being tempted. Now, if you don't, if you, if you don't do something simply because you might be found out, that's not a very good motive, okay? That's that's that motive by itself is the impure motive. But 
if you're in a temptation and you want to serve God and you really love God and you really want to obey God, but you're in this temptation and you're struggling, the thought of the shame that you will experience may be enough for you to say no as part of the rest of the things. So that I see as a good thing for shame. You you don't want to get rid of shame. It's a purpose for shame. Then God ascribes shame to things that are filthy and wrong. Ephesians 5.12 says, he says, for it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. If God's people would be associated with the things evil people do, it would be shameful. It's even a shame. It will, it will bring us down from an honorable and a respectable position to even talk about some of those things. Some things are unmentionable. Some things are off limits. Some things should not be talked about. It's just shame to talk about some things. Only today, some of those shameful things are not as much done in secret as it used to be. But it's still a shame. So there's a proper... God's people should avoid that shame, even to talk about it. Now, I know that there's in context where you're actually ministering to people that you go there, but I'm talking about in general. In Jude 13, it talks about some filthy dreamers, and it talks about raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, their wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, God also describes shame. So those are God describes shame of things that are filthy. He also describes shame the things that are out of order or are inappropriate. And for that, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And these familiar verses to, to all of us. Some things that are out of order and inappropriate. 1 Corinthians 11 Starting at verse 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. And that word dishonoreth is a cinnamon for shame. It's the same word for shame. It's an entirely appropriate cinnamon. When a man prays or prophesies, having his head covered, he shames his head, which is Christ. Similarly, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. That would be she shames her head, which would be her husband. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. So, um, and then down at uh, verse 14, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? There's a lot of, lot of 
reference to the word shame here. Dishonor, shame. And uh, I'm going to read one more uh, one more verse that's a couple chapters later in chapter 14 that is related to these, but you don't have to turn there. Let your women keep silent in the churches, it is for it is not permitted unto them to speak, for they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. All, all these shames, we have one, two, three, four, five of them. There, there are specific actions and activities that are inappropriate to this gender in this situation at this time. There's a proper order and structure that God has set up, and the violation of those, that order is shameful. Now, we've spoken earlier that shame is a good emotion. Well, emotion, it's, I mean, it's good to have shame. If we feel no shame, when we should feel shame, we are shameless. And we're disconnected with, from social reality. And in all these situations, a man uncovered, a woman covered, a man not having long hair, a woman having long hair, it's... It's it's a glory for her to have long hair and a woman to speak and to teach and to challenge in a gathered assembly. And if, uh, as there is an accepted social disorder, if you violate these, you will experience shame. Um, I think I'm... My notes are a little disorganized here. I'm, I'm trying to get this together here. Yeah, right there's where it is. So, if you're, you should have no shame at all if you fall and follow this order. There's no shame. There's no dishonor. There's no disgrace following that order. But <clears throat> earlier I mentioned that to feel no shame when one should feel it is to be disconnected with reality. Like, like if I'm doing, if I do something that others feel is stupid, but I'm unaware of it, that they feel that way. Like if I'm, you know, every time someone talks, I talk into the group and I just hog the conversation. It, it becomes, eventually becomes shameful, but I'm unaware of it. I should be ashamed of what I'm doing it, but I am blissfully unaware of my effect of my actions on other people. I'm disconnected from reality. And that's the way for many in these passages in Corinthians, unaware of being out of God's structure and order. Many just explain it away. But God does say, and he does say to keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. So that's one one way of shame is uh, when we're out of order, we're inappropriate. And this is one uh, one place where the scripture speaks about shame. Then there is some shame that we choose. 
Sometimes we purposefully do things that bring shame on us. And we are not shameless. This is a shame that we actually embrace. And, of course, to get the example is to go to the Lord Jesus. Jesus felt shame. You know, he was tempted in all points as we are, and he experienced life. He experienced shame. He experienced that painful emotion of being, well, let's, let's read it. When he was on the cross, he was hung naked. Nakedness is always associated with shame. He was humiliated, publicly humiliated. He was considered a criminal. He faced that beating and the mocking and the jeering of his enemies. He was spit on publicly. He, who was so powerful that he could raise the dead, now faced the humiliation of looking helpless. So Jesus, as a, as a human, he felt shamed. He was shamed and he felt it. And in fact, the Philippians 2, we're not going to read it, but it, it describes his descent. You know, even though he was like God, he felt an outrobbery equal with God, but he came to earth and he came the whole way down, even to the death of the cross. He came down to that shameful death. Now let's turn to Hebrew chapter 12, talking still about the shame which we, which we choose. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew he would face shame, but it says he despised it. What he means by despising it is he de-esteemed it. When he looked at the joy before him and he looked at the shame he needed to go through, he disesteemed the shame because of where he was going to go. It was it was a value judgment. Say, I want that. I, to do this will cause shame. But I will experience this shame. I will absorb this shame because I want that. And that is, a, is where sometimes we need to choose shame. It's a value judgment. <clears throat> Sometimes we need to choose who we will be honored by and to suffer shame on purpose for a purpose. And um, a few verses in 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, I don't think, turn there, I'm going to read just read a scattering of verses there to bring the point out. Paul was, is saying here, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. That's in verse 18 and in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. 
Unto the Jews, the Jews receive it as a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. And here's the paraphrase. When we preach that our Messiah was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Now, if you go around saying stuff that is offensive to some people and is silly nonsense to others, don't expect them to honor you and to respect you. And if honor and respect of other people is very important to you, you will not speak sometimes when you ought to speak. It will keep you. In other words, the threat of shame will keep you from witnessing. (laughs) It is in plain words. What is Paul's testimony? Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That gospel that is offensive to some people and is nonsense to other people, he said, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. He, it's, it's a shameful thing, but I'm not ashamed of it. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. So Paul suffered shame from his former Jewish acquaintances that he knew And when he went among the Greeks, they made fun of him. What's this babbler saying? Somebody rising from the dead? You know, he he suffered shame and ridicule. But he said, I am not ashamed of this gospel. Because it is the power of God. He knew he had a message that would change people's lives. It was Jesus who said in Luke nine, twenty three to twenty six, and this is a similar verse to what David read this morning, but it's not exactly the same because there's some other words in here. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake the same shall save it. For what advantage shall, if for what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Now, what is part of that losing yourself? What is part of taking up the cross? And he actually gives an application in this one that David did not read this morning. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words. Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So there we think of shame. We're going to have to have to choose shame. Are we going to be ashamed of what people will be saying or are we going to be ashamed of what God will say? It's a choosing. You will be ashamed. You will, okay, let's say, we will face shame one way or another. We will face shame, but it's a value judgment. What will we be shamed? Who will we be shamed by? Are we ashamed of who we are? Are we ashamed of praying in a restaurant? Are we ashamed of 
dressing in a certain way in a certain culture to identify ourselves as a Christian. In many ways, we can avoid shame. Or are we just simply, I love God, this is the gospel, and they will shame me, but it's a value judgment because I will not be ashamed of the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 41, and this is when the after the uh, apostles were captured because they were preaching the gospel. And when and to him they agreed, and when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So not only should we make a value judgment in this case, and it, it's that way, in Matthew chapter 5, what shall we do when people speak evil of you, when they revile you, when they tell false things about you? He says, rejoice. That's what they did to the prophets. And that's what the disciples did. They, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy. I'm giving you a biblical perspective on shame, okay? I'm not telling you where I'm at. I'm giving you what the scriptures teach and where where it's it's right there. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's a person who is being shamed. People are saying bad things about you falsely. They're they're dragging your name in the mud because you're a Christian. You are being shamed then we should rejoice. And probably you're being shamed because you challenged him. <laughs> probably. So what is our goal? What is our purpose in this? First John chapter 2, verse 27. And if you want to write this reference down, just please do. It's a very, very precious verse. And maybe John will be speaking about this next, his next message. I don't know. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Little children, abide in him. If whatever he means by abiding in him, if we do that, we will have confidence and not be ashamed of him when he comes. Whatever that abiding in him means, and I know it means a whole lot more than what David was saying this morning about just going through the motions and being complacent and doing the right things and checking out the boxes. Abiding him. John Rothra said to this, and I, I just got this one because I thought of it in a, in a very very compounded way brings it. To abide in Christ means to intentionally remain in an ever-growing relationship with him that transforms our character to be more like his. Abiding in Christ means not giving up, but continuing on in despite our doubts or hardships. Part of that is abiding means you remain and so in spite of hardships and doubts, you remain there. That's part of abiding. 
And then abiding in Christ means allowing God to work through us to transform us so that he can transform others through us. So I will be willing to suffer shame from others if it means I will not need to be ashamed of him at his coming. Now, there's a lot of shame I haven't even touched on. But I tried to bring a message, uh, a biblical perspective on shame, what it is, what its purpose is, and then some applications to that. So if you could, if you could, let's kneel for prayer. Father, as we come before you, we are thankful and we are amazed at the way you made us complex and complicated and comprehensive creatures that we are. We do not nearly understand ourselves, Lord. There's many parts of us, Lord, we don't understand. But, Lord, we do understand enough, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that you have made us this way And I think of this topic of shame this morning. I pray, Lord, you would help us to have a a healthy perspective, a healthy responses, to have healthy emotions in this area. And then also, Lord, as we've spoken on in the end here, to, um, to have the proper value judgment on shame. Lord, we will experience shame, but Lord, may we experience it now. And not when you come back. May, Lord, each one of us, Lord, make that value judgment to abide in you and everything that that means, that, Lord, that we can be everything that you have intended us to be. And that your return, that we, it is just a, we will not shrink back, but we will just, with open arms, Lord, just be glad to let the other shame behind us. And, and uh, meet with you with joy. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.